welcome to the next part of our meeting. Thank you for um, being here this morning. Thank you for um, wanting to kind of hear the Word of God into your life today. That makes my job a lot easier already that you're here and your ears and your hearts are open to what God's got for you this morning. So thank you for being willing. Um, and hopefully um, you'll come away from this with something that will really impact you um, as the week uh, goes on. So we're on to week three of our series, Patterns and Promises. And um, I had a week of actually being really impacted by last week's message that Steve brought. Um, and he talked about dividing and conquering and about how there's a pattern in creation of separation, that God separates things. He separates water from water, sky from water. He separates the land from the sea and so on. And, and we looked more in detail about why that um, pattern of separation was so important and so relevant to our lives today. And um, I'm quite excited to be back in Genesis this morning because my current Bible reading plan has got me in Leviticus. Yeah, I know. Oh, I can feel the frisson in the air, Leviticus. I mean, Leviticus is like, well, it's, it's not on the baby name list, to put it that way. It's like, oh, it's a bit heavy. It's a bit dense. It's, there's a lot of content and information in there. I was talking to the kids about it because um, often, we often try and share with them what we're reading in the Bible and I was explaining to them, I was like, well, it's kind of God's rules for living a good lifestyle that you know, helps you stay clean and close to God. Um, and there's lots and lots of lists of um, things you, you can't eat, things you can't do, things you can't say, people you can't be with at certain times of the month, animals um, that, you, that are unclean, all this stuff. And I obviously wasn't selling it very well because Stella, my hyper-efficient daughter, said, well, mummy, why didn't God just tell them what they could do rather than spend all that time in paper on what they couldn't do? And I was like, yeah, she's kind of onto something here. Like, why did he spend so much energy in Leviticus laying out what they couldn't do as well as what they, they could do? Um, and Steve's word last Sunday just really helped me read Leviticus in a different kind of light this week because I realized that God isn't trying to saddle his people with a rule book, a list of regulations um, that they have to memorize and um, apply every, you know, every time they've got a choice to make, they have to get out this little guide and flick through it and work out you know, what, they, what they're allowed to do in that situation. That's not what's going on in Leviticus. What's happening in Leviticus is that God is trying to help his people get into a pattern by repeatedly practicing making choices that separate them from an unclean way of doing things and draw them closer to doing things in a way that's going to keep them close to God. And it's, you know, my mum always said to me, um, well, she said two things to me, parenting is a cold sausage in the pocket. Um, which is true, although I don't have any in today, but I could have done yesterday. I think I've had some ham in there recently. Uh, and parenting is repetition. It's repeating the same thing over and over again to help your children learn to make the right choice at the right time, even when no one's watching them. And that's what God's doing in when he's bringing these patterns to our attention in Genesis and when we see them established in books like Leviticus. He's helping us practice a pattern um, so that we get in a lifestyle so that they're making right choices and making choices that draw us closer to God and keep us clean from the wrong way of living life and keep us um, in a good relationship with God become not just second nature to us, but like first nature to us. Like that's the goal um, of um, what God's trying to do um, in our lives for us today as he was um, with the Israelites in Leviticus. So thank you for the message last week, Steve. It really helped me. 
And it helped me think about my word this week as well, because I'm going to speak to you this morning about making choices, about a pattern of making choices. And I think it's really important to start by recognizing that what I'm not going to give you today is a road map or a, you know, like a playbook that promises you that if you make this particular choice on this particular Tuesday on the odd numbers of your years of your life, and if you do this choice, or if you make this choice on that day about this person in this way, you know, if you, if you do all of these things in these ways, your life will be a blazing success for the Lord, and you'll just have the most amazing life, and it'll, it'll all be wonderful. It's not, I don't want you to go home today thinking that um, you're taking a map home, you know, that if you pass all these checkpoints or, or follow it correctly, you'll get to the X mark for the spot, you'll get the treasure, and it'll all be wonderful. Because it's not really a map that God's trying to give us this morning. What God's trying to give us this morning is like a, a mood, Okay, it's like God's, God's mood for our lives. It's, it's how he feels about the way that he wants us to live our lifestyles. And it's, it's a mood that I, um, it's a good mood, it's a positive mood. It's a mood that in, um, encourages us and lifts us up and draws us closer to God. And I hope that it's kind of picking up on that, the mood that God has for us to live lifestyles that are set apart for him, that, make, that have patterns established in, us, in our lives that keep us on that path for God. That, that they become the, the kind of the modus operandi, how do you say it, modus operandi, something like that, op-ed, whatever, that kind of, they become the mode of our lifestyles, you know, and so that making choices doesn't have to become a stressful thing, that we're constantly consulting um, the Bible and these and books and getting all in worked up about, how, how do we make good choices in our lives, but they become like a habit for us, they become something that we relax into, because we're so used to living a lifestyle that draws us closer to God and closer to the things of God, rather than feeling that tension and that battle that can be in us so much if we don't address um, some of the other patterns that can influence us in the other ways. So let's read the passage. We're going to Genesis 2, great leaps forward this morning. One whole chapter. Let's have a look at Genesis 2. Um, I'll read it out to you. It says this. Uh, and I'm reading this from The Voice. I'm back in The Voice for this passage, which is quite exciting because I was reading that when it first spoke to me. Genesis 2, verse 8. The eternal God planted a garden in the east of Eden, a place of utter delight, and placed the man who he had sculpted there. In this garden, he made the ground pregnant with life, bursting forth with nourishing food and luxuriant beauty. He created trees, and in the center of this garden of delights stood the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The eternal God placed the newly made man in the garden of Eden in order to work the ground and care for it. He made certain demands of the man regarding life in the garden, and God said, eat freely from any and all of the trees in the garden. I only require that you abstain from eating the fruit of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Beware. The day you eat the fruit of this tree, you will certainly die. And in verse 18, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I will create a companion for him, a perfectly suited partner. So out of the same ground the man was made from, the eternal God sculpted every sort of animal and every kind of bird that flies up in the sky. And then he brought them to the man and gave him the authority to name each creature as he saw fit. Whatever he decided to call it, that became its name. Thus the man chose names for the domesticated animals, birds, and wild beasts. And of all the creatures the eternal God had created, the serpent was the craftiest. And the serpent says to the woman, Is it true that God has forbidden you to eat fruits from the trees of the garden? Oh no, says Eve. God said we are free to eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. We are granted access to any variety and all amounts of fruit with one exception. The, tr- the fruit from the tree found in the center of the garden. God instructed us not to eat or touch the fruit of that tree 
or you would die. Serpent, die. No, you'll not die. God is playing games with you. The truth is that God knows that the day you eat from the fruit from that tree, you will awaken something powerful in you and become like him, possessing knowledge of both good and evil. So the woman approached the tree. She eyed its fruit and coveted its mouth-watering wisdom-granted beauty. She plucked a fruit from the tree and ate, then offered it to her husband who was close by, and he ate as well. And then everything changes, doesn't it? Because suddenly, in verse 7, their eyes were opened to a reality previously unknown. And for the first time, they sensed their vulnerability and they rushed to hide their naked bodies, stitching fig leaves into crude loincloths. And God says in verse 22, Look, the human has become like one of us, possessing the knowledge of good and evil. If we don't do something, he will reach out his hand and take some of the fruit from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the eternal God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and exiled humanity from paradise, sentencing humans to laborious lives working the very ground that man came from. What a story. I'm just going to pray. God, would you help this land well in our hearts and our minds this morning? God, would you bring us an understanding of your heart for humanity, your heart for each of our lives this morning, to be in relationship with us and the kind of lifestyles that we can live um, in order to make that possible. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes this morning, like, well done, that's good. It's good to take notes. Um, if you're not taking notes, this could be the morning that you give it a try. It helps you concentrate, even if you never read them again. I have, oh man, we have so many boxes of notebooks in our loft because Ben writes prolific notes, puts them in notebooks, and then won't let me throw them away, even though he never goes back and looks at them. Sometimes you go back and look at them. He keeps all his notes. I just make them and never look at them again, but it helps me concentrate at the moment. If you are taking notes this morning, my first point is um, about exercising our choice. I've got, it's kind of like um, two truths and a lie. Do you remember that game? Did you ever play that at school or uni, two truths and a lie? Me and Ben met over a game of two truths and a lie at a Christian union house party. Woo, wild. Um, and uh, <laughs> it sat in this big circle, and that was as crazy as we got. Um, somewhere in the Scottish Highlands. And uh, the, game, the premise of the game is that everybody has to tell um, three facts about their lives, except that two of them are truths, and one of them duh, 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 uh, is a lie, and you've got to figure out like, you know, which the lie is. And We were opposite sides of the circle, weren't we? I don't remember any. Do you remember any of mine? I said I was afraid of flying. Uh-uh, lie. That I loved... Oh, what? You do. Do you remember the other truths in life? Okay, that's fine. So we're playing Game of Two Truths and a Lie and, you know, Love Blossoms and all the rest of it. My, my three points this morning are kind of like Two Truths and a Lie. So my first point is um, we're going to talk about exercising our choice. This next point we're going to talk about um, is engineering our circumstances. And the third point I'm going to talk about is exchanging our spirits. So two of those are kind of truths. One of those is a lie, if you will. Two of those are good things. One of those um, is one that you want to avoid and, and not do. And if you haven't figured it out, then God bless you. It's okay, I'll help you get there. We do have a lot of opportunity to make choices, like every single day um, of, our, of our ordinary adult lives. Um, and I think that's really good for us to remember that that ability to make choices was given to us right at the beginning, back in the Garden of Eden. God set us up to be choice makers, and he wanted humans to have the opportunity to exercise um, our choice. So one of the things that winds me up most about um, people who don't understand why I'm a Christian is when they come at me with, with things like, oh, but it's just so, con- God's so controlling. 
Like, being a Christian is so controlling. It's all about rules and regulations. It's not. Right at the beginning, at the very start of creation, God devoted almost an entire paragraph to letting man have the authority to name animals, choose names for them, it says, and whatever Adam saw fit to call these animals, God said, yep, fine, that's it. You know, he didn't, didn't make him submit them um, to a committee and then sort of pick his favorite names or anything like that. He just said, yeah, fine, you, you take that opportunity, you make those choices and I'll roll with them. Like God loves giving us choice in our lives. And that's that bit where God lets Adam choose all the names of the animals happens right after the own, uh, right after verse 19, where God tells Adam there's only one thing he can't choose to do, and that's to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then he opens up this whole safari of choices that are available for him to make about these animals' names. Um, and I think that's quite bold of the Lord, frankly, to let Adam just pick any old name for any old animal. Like I was thinking about this. My sister, when she was little, we used to tease her because um, she's 30 now. She turned 30 this week. Um, so not so little anymore. But when she was younger, she was so creative with language. If she couldn't, she didn't know the word for something that didn't hold her back in communicating. There was no kind of pause um, in her narrative. There was no consulting of a wiser, older person as to what word she might be after. She would just make a word up. So um, <laughs> I was trying to, there was quite a few. The one that I liked the most is, um, you know when you go camping and you need to like get something out of the frying pan with a pair of like metal tongs, right? Lily called them burger pinchers. And uh, that was it. They're, from that point onwards, our family likes to call them burger pinchers. So imagine if Lily had been in the Garden of Eden and God, and God had said... Name the animals and whatever you choose, that shall be their name. We'd have, like, stringy instead of giraffe. We'd have, like, flappy for, well, flappy mark one for one bird, flappy-licious for the next bird, flappy's best friend, flappalina for, like, the third bird, or blobby-wobby for, like, a jellyfish or something. It would be a very different Bible. (laughs) David Attenborough would not be taken nearly as seriously as he is, I'm sure, if he had to name them, um, as Lily had. So let's just remember, you know, any time in life that you're feeling like, oh, God's backed you into a corner, or that you're feeling a bit controlled or a bit regulated in your Christian life, let's just remember that God has given us great liberty to make choices. And it's a really creative privilege to make a choice, and it's inherited from a creative God. Making choices is available to each one of us. Um, it's a creative privilege, um, and it's how God set things up to be. So let's take Lily out of the equation and put Adam back into the equation and imagine him. You know, he's a brand new human. I I got really into thinking about this. You know, um, when someone's been in like a really bad accident and they're in hospital for ages and then they get like muscle wastage because they haven't used like the legs and their muscles for a while and then they have to have like physiotherapy to help them like rehabilitate into using those muscles to walk. Could Adam walk when God first made him? Do you know what I mean? He just made him as a man, didn't he, with all those muscles? Could he walk straight away, or is he sort of still trying to learn how to walk as he was sort of called into this new lifestyle? Either way, you know, here's a man that's been made from scratch, started his life right in the middle of it, and he's learning and absorbing so much information. It might have been a bit of a kind of overwhelming um, time for him, and then he's given this epic chance to make a whole lot of choices right there at the start um, of Genesis. And I think there's kind of two ways you might identify with Adam this morning depending on uh, how your own life feels at the moment or depending on your personality um, or just whether or not you're old enough to pay bills yet because 
some of you might be thinking, like, this is awesome. I could, you know, Lion King style, you and God up on this rock, and God brings all the animals before you, and they go past in this glorious procession, and they bow before God, and you get to give them these cool names like zebra and crocodile and all this stuff, and it's so exciting, and you and God are working together, and it's epic and adventurous, and you're going to remember this for the rest of your lives, and you never want it to stop, and it's so exciting. Um, And then the rest of us, the normal ones of us, um, are probably thinking, like, flipping heck, this poor guy, you know, he's, he's just landed on planet, he's just been created, he's trying to come to terms with life, he's the only... A man, he's a lone worker in a very kind of high-profile garden. There's no other gardeners around him. This is the Garden of Eden, and it's, it's all on him, you know, to keep this thing looking good. Uh, he doesn't have a partner yet. You know, he's probably feeling a bit lonely. He hasn't got anyone to really identify with him or empathize with him. Um, and, uh, and then God comes along and is like, you know, right, here's some pressure to perform then. You need to name all the animals, all the birds, and all the wild beasts like some sort of, you know, magical Hogwarts sorting hats sort of putting them into categories and giving them all different names. And, like, I feel a bit of empathy for the man. For me, that feels like more pressure um, at a time that he's already kind of coming to terms um, with life. So you might feel in the envious camp wanting to do it Lion King style. You might be more with me in the empathy camp and feeling like, man, that guy must have felt overwhelmed by all the choices that he was suddenly faced with having to make. And the responsibility as well of, like, picking, you know, better names than Lily. It's pretty hard. Um, and uh, this is a real, real thing. I mean, he managed it, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have the names of the animals in quite the same way that we did it. So well done, Adam. But um, I would understand if he felt a little bit overwhelmed in that situation. And uh, have you heard the phrase choice paralysis? Choice paralysis. It's, it's kind of a thing now, choice paralysis. And it's this concept that we live in a world now where we have so many choices available to us that we almost become overwhelmed by the volume of choices that we have to make um, and then we sort of freeze up, we tense up and we sort of find it really hard to even make decisions about really normal, mundane, boring things like what kind of toothpaste I'm going to pick up when I go to Asda's. But the problem with that is Asda's got like a shelf full of toothpaste, right? You can't just go to Asda and pick even between one or two brands. You've got to pick between like 10, 11, 12 different brands of, of toothpaste even, or, you know, the never-ending scroll of kind of other the options that other people are choosing in their lives, like the kind of holidays they're going on, or um, friends they're making, or things they're doing with their weekend, or the kind of restaurants they're going to. And there's like an oversaturation of options and choices that other people are making that we're comparing our own choices with and second-guessing our, our own choice-making process with, and it can be really, really overwhelming. And one of the things um, that psychologists now warn us against is confusing information with importance. So our brains are really good at confusing a volume of information with the importance of the decision that you're making. So our brains see a shelf full of toothpaste and we think, wow, if there's that much toothpaste available, it must be really important which toothpaste I choose this morning. Or if there's that much information available about all the different kind of holidays I could go on, it must be really important that I choose the right one. And we spend loads and loads of mental energy because we think it's really important because we've been bombarded with so much information. And then what happens is our brains are just exhausted. And we we run out of the ability to make even really simple but life-changing choices like going to bed early enough that we can get up the next morning to read our Bibles or and making choices about spending our time wisely, our finances wisely, or um, who we, how we plan our weeks and organize our calendars. Like, those things can become really overwhelming because we've already spent so much mental energy on trying to figure out 
what we put in our shopping baskets. Does anybody else empathise with that? And I sometimes wonder if, you know, Adam had a, had a bit of that going on, that feeling of like, wow, I've just got so many, so many choices to make here. Um, and, and I feel empathy for that, and I feel empathy for anybody here this morning that, you know, it feels like they're just struggling to make really um, genuinely important life-changing spiritual choices in their lives, that they've just not got much energy left to choose the things that they know are really going to push them into the things of God. But that's okay. There's freedom from that this morning. We're going to find out why, because, yay, the Bible. You know, the Bible has all the answers. Um, and in Genesis, we see that there's a much better, more balanced way for us to make choices. And we don't have to be sucked into that kind of exhausting, um, over-informed way of doing things for us. Because in Genesis, we see that God gives Adam two really important ingredients when making choices. He gives him freedom, and he gives him responsibility. Freedom and responsibility. And those are, the, those are the two things that God has designed us to make choices with. So we've got the kind of the joy and the lightness that comes from not being controlled in life, from being able to make our own choices, from not being funneled um, by a kind of a micromanaging God up here that's pushing us into, you know, manipulating us all the way through our lives. You know, he genuinely gives us choice and freedom. And that comes with a lightness in our lives. That should come with a joy that we can wake up every day and think, right, well, the kind of life that I'm going to create comes from the kind of choices that I've been given liberty to make. Like, that's empowering. And, and it's good to remember that, even when you're just feeling trapped by um, life and circumstances and the busyness of things, it's just to take a step back and remember, wait a second, God has given me a choice in this moment. God has given me a creative choice as well, and that what I choose this morning can create a better option for me. So there's all that kind of, um, yeah, choi- the, the joy that comes from being people that have a God that gives us life-affirming opportunities to make choices. I think that's awesome. Um, but then there's also this other side, which is where Adam has to accept the responsibility. You know, he didn't get overwhelmed and say, whoa, hold the phone, like, hat there, I don't want to make all these choices. That's not for me. You've made them. You name them. You know, I'm quite busy, actually, as it is as the only gardener, and I've got enough going on, and I don't... I don't want to make those choices. Like Adam did accept the responsibility to kind of name all those animals. And there's something in that for us this morning is that we do have to thoughtfully and seriously accept our responsibility to make wise choices as Christians following God, as people living for him. You know, it's our responsibility to own our choices, to accept our choices, and to kind of create a lifestyle that means that we make good choices in line with um, God's guidance. Because God's there to help us, right? You know, God was right there with Adam during the whole process, making sure that he didn't call the birds flappy-licious, um, to giving, maybe making some little suggestions in his ear. You know, God didn't leave Adam to it. Um, he helped him. But we do have to accept and own our role in life as choice makers, because ain't nobody else going to make those choices for you. That belongs to you. But the good news is that not only does God promise us in our day-to-day life to stick with us, just like he stuck with Adam, to guide us and to help us, to, and to kind of coach us, I suppose, in making good choices. He also uses these two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, um, to show us something, to help us understand how we can establish a pattern in our lives today that can still help us to make consistently good life-bringing choices. And God used the trees to help us make choices, not in like a complicated way. It's not like, do you remember like when you're a teenager and you bought magazines like... Um, Oh, was it just, no, just seven, no, just 17, 17, and sugar, and 
I, don't, I think Bunty was a bit behind the time. I think that was a bit before my time. But well, you get these magazines, and my favorite section was always the flowchart section. Do you know those ones where you're like, oh, I'm seeing some nods, hallelujah. And you like turn to the page, and it would be like, find out what kind of personality you are, or find out what kind of person you're going to become, or what kind of job you're going to have. And they'd ask you these questions, and it's like, um, if you like blue, um, if you prefer blue to purple, go this way. And, you know, if you like cats more than dogs, go this way. And it would kind of, like, lead you through this flowchart, and it would be, there'd be a big reveal at the end. Um, and it was really exciting. I loved it. I love a good flowchart. Um, but that's, that's not how God is asking us to make choices. He's made it much, much, much more straightforward for us than having to follow a complicated process of reasoning and logic to come to the right decisions in life. Uh, instead, he's got this remarkably straightforward way for us to learn from this morning. Um, and straightforward isn't the same as easy. I'm just going to put that out there. It doesn't mean it's easy to choose the things of God um, over the things of the world, but it is a straightforward choice. It's kind of a, like an A or B choice. Or There's that Friends episode. I couldn't find it, you know, where they play the chocolate or cheese game. Is that Friends? You know, chocolate or cheese, and you've got to make a quick choice. Or like, I don't know. What are two other basic choices, water or Pepsi? Or, you know, it's, it's between two things. It's a black and white kind of choice that we've got to make. It's really easy. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or it's the tree of life. And at the heart of every choice that we make, I believe, the kind of the core, the nucleus of all the other decisions that we make about how we spend our energy and our time and our finances and all the rest of it, that's the, that's the real choice that we're making. Are we choosing to eat from the tree of knowledge or are we choosing to eat from the tree of life and all the other choices that we make actually boil down to that very simple straightforward choice a or b tree of knowledge tree of life fear or faith that's at the heart of all of our other big decisions and if we can kind of understand that that god has simplified our lives for us to that degree we can, start making, um, we can start being more aware about the choices that we're making. We can practice making choices that feed our lives, that fuel our lives from the right source until we become so used to it that that becomes our first nature um, and we find ourselves much more um, readily and easily making good choices that help our spiritual life um, and help our relationship with God grow. So that's the question for you this morning. You know, which tree are you going to eat from? Which tree have you been eating from? Which tree do you want to eat from? What's really fueling you and feeding you um, in your life and the choices um, that you're making? So let's start by looking um, at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is where we're moving into my two truths and a lie bit. This is the lie bit. Engineering our circumstances is not a good thing to do. Eating from the tree of knowledge is not a great thing to do, but let's understand why. This is my second point, engineering our circumstances. So last September, um, Ben and I flew on a plane, ha, not a lie, um, to Stockholm um, because they have like the G12 European conference there. Um, and uh, we got the chance to spend some time in like, it's kind of like a little amphitheater probably, kind of like you guys. I think there are about that many pastors in this little amphitheater, this middle section here, kind of graduated up like this, big comfy green seats. Um, and Pastor Cesar was at the front with his... Um, Translator or interpreter? Which one is it? Interpreter, thank you. Thank you, interpreters, far and wide. Thank you, Roxana, we appreciate you this morning. Interpreters are great. And he was stood there at the front of this um, amphitheater type. It was like a cinema, really. 
And he started talking to us. And he was saying, man, you know, pastors need to be the first ones that um, seek God for deliverance in their lives on a regular basis from kind of making wrong choices, picking up the wrong spirits, carrying things in their heart and in their spirit that aren't from God, that they need, we need to be leading the way in kind of setting an example in, in getting freedom from those things. And he felt like there were kind of three key areas of our lives that um, as pastors we needed to respond to God um, that morning and kind of ask for some prayer for deliverance and freedom. Um, and I can't actually remember, oh no, I do, I vaguely remember what the first two were and they were good, but for his third point, he said, and this morning, I want to encourage you to look into your heart and admit and repent from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I was like, oh, this is, this is really interesting. I want to hear more about this because it started to kind of um, resonate with me. And he, he talked about being the kind of people that could admit a wrong pattern of making choices based solely on our own kind of knowledge and, and what we what we know. And because what that leads to is a pattern of living, a lifestyle, day by day, that relies more on what we know in our minds, um, and we make decisions based on what makes sense to us, what seems logical, what seems educated, or cerebral, or sensible, or kind of well-informed. And, and these are the characteristics that we make our decisions by, and we start to live our lives by. And that's what he said it meant to live a life eating from the tree of knowledge, rather than the tree of life. And um, I, I could really identify with that because I can look back in my own life and see that, yeah, there's, there's been times that I've made kind of a series of choices um, to get me to where I want to go on my own terms, in my own way or in my own timing or in my own strength because essentially I thought I know better than God um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things my way because I think I know what I'm meant to be doing. And, and that's, that's what it means to eat from the tree of knowledge in our lives today is to have that kind of approach, that kind of way of processing our decisions, the way of um, grading our, or judging our choices or making our choices. And, and um, it can become a pattern of thinking, can't it, that before too long, we've um, made a lot of choices that have led us further and further away from God's way of doing things and more and more into the way our way of doing things, because essentially sin is rebelling against God and thinking that we know best, right? And that's kind of what eating from the tree of knowledge represents, that mindset and that way of thinking. And yeah, I could definitely see that in my life. And I was kind of one of the, it's snowing. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love this city. You just can't predict the weather, can you? Let's be honest. You know, I could see that pattern in my own life of like relying on my perspective, my opinions. Um, my own kind of insights. I could put far too much weight on my own insight and before I realized it, you know, cut God out of the decision-making processes in my life altogether and, and just not really kind of tune into him um, day by day. Um, and uh, I was like, I was first, I think I dragged you down with me, didn't I? I was like, come on, this is the one for, and anyway, we were down the front and asked Pastor Seder to pray with us and just really help us like get free from the spirit that comes with valuing the fruit from the tree of knowledge more than valuing the fruit from the tree of life and, and living a lifestyle um, that draws more fuel and sustenance from the tree of knowledge than it does from the tree um, of life. And um, so, I re- so when I reread this passage recently, um, I was, I was quite a thoughtful passage for me. I was mulling it over quite a lot. I spent quite a lot of time like, really thinking about it 
following the September where I'd had this deliverance experience. And I was like, well, why? Why did Eve think it was so important for her to become as powerful as God? Because if you said to me today, like, oh, you should do this and you'll become as powerful as God, that, for me, that'd be like a big red flashing. Like, no, don't do it. That's not wise. But what made Eve think that that was a good idea to want to become as um, powerful as God? And kind of as I thought about it and prayed about it, I could, I could see where she was coming from really quite uncomfortably because I could see that I've come from that perspective in my own life too. And it's as though Eve felt in that moment that perhaps God was like withholding something from her. The, the devil calls it, God's playing games with you. That's what, what he said. And it's like, there's this thing that, that, that exists and God said, I can't have it. Why is he withholding? God's withholding something from me. And there's almost sort of a, re- a resentfulness And instead of seeing everything that had been released to her, she gets a little bit obsessive about this thing that she thinks God is withholding from her. And and when we start thinking like that, it leads to like a real deep distrust of God, doesn't it? Leads to like a mistrust of God. And it means that we stop trusting God for our futures. Um, And really what Eve was saying is that I don't trust you, God, to give me what I really want anymore. I think I know what I want. You've told me I can't have it. You're holding it back from me. Um, And what that tells me, God, is that I can't trust you to give me what I want in life. So I'm going to have to take control of my own life instead. If you're not going to give me what I think I want, then I'm going to make sure I get it and get there by myself. And so she engineers the circumstances to give her what she thought God wouldn't give her, which um, was maybe power, control maybe, Ironically, even choice, which is so far from what God was actually doing in that situation. And so she, you know, she takes the fruit and then she kind of gets her husband to eat it too. And then they come up with this big story and she's trying to shape her life to give herself what she thinks God isn't going to give her. And the passage tells us that then a previously, uh, sorry, a reality previously unknown comes over them and leaves them feeling vulnerable and fragile and fearful. Wow, it's like the dark side. Remember, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we can assume that they've got knowledge of good already from what God's done in their lives and the kind of relationship he has with them in the garden he's put them in and everything he's blessed them with. But this fruit releases to them the other side. It's the knowledge of evil as well. And that does something really damaging to them. It it leaves them vulnerable, fragile, and fearful, a side of life they'd not been exposed to before. And, you know, Satan promised Eve that something powerful would awaken within her, and I think it did, but it it wasn't good. It It was bad power. It was Sith power, not Jedi power and all the rest of that. We're getting Leo into Star Wars. It's just epic. Actually, the other day I said to the kids, oh, let's start, um, let's start the weekend with being grateful for like five things that God's done in our lives um, in the week just gone. So Leo comes up with um, uh, two different computer games um, and, and some sweet things as well. And I said, oh, no, that doesn't, that's not it. You need to, re- those two things come together. It, it's not that you're grateful for Mario Kart and Spyro. It's that you're grateful for, you know, um, God creating time and opportunity for you to spend with your family doing things that you really enjoy, because him and Ben had spent time playing Mario Kart that morning. He's like, all right, that's fine. And he came up with um, three other much more better holy things. And then his fifth one was Star Wars. And I was like, oh, no, sweetie. Like, again, put that in the category of being able to spend time with your family doing things you enjoy. And he's like, no, mum, Star Wars needs its own category. (laughs) 
At which point, Ben was like, oh, my job is done. He's very proud of himself. But the dark side is awakened within uh, Eve and with Adam. And unfortunately, we've inherited that sinful nature and it's still awake in us today. There's that powerful force that compels us to kind of investigate, consider, and then often accept things that are harmful to us and that are dark and that trap us and hurt us and harm us. They're like things that we can't undo. So, you know, um, oh, I don't want to keep slamming Instagram because it's I'm on Instagram a lot too, but it, it can be really harmful to kind of keep, you know, seeing things that other people have got and sort of start investigating whether that's something you could have, like the other people's holidays, or why is it people are obsessed with finding out other people's salaries? You know, like, well, how much do they earn and what are they doing with it? Because maybe, what does that mean about my life? And what, could, you know, and you start to learn things and find things out that then actually leave you really, really dissatisfied in life. Or it might be um, other people's hobbies and habits, and you think, oh, I should be doing that, but you get trapped in a way of like, um, I'll tell you a story later about me in a food fad, that just are really, really harmful to you. Or there's like pornography or violent video games um, or movies that aren't good for us. Um, or, you know, comparing ourselves and our bodies or our whatever image with like other people. Um, and they just come with, it, it starts with a curiosity, doesn't it? Like, oh, I wonder how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And then you investigate, like, oh, paleo, you know, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if that's right. And before you know it, you've kind of got sucked into kind of like a worldly knowledge that is actually really harmful for you. And you get stuck in kind of behaviors that are really, really damaging to you. And it's that sort of powerful force in us that just says, I'll just investigate it and find out a little bit more about it. And before we know it, we've really gotten sucked into a different way of thinking through, through worldly knowledge that just doesn't help us um, at all. And we've got to recognize that that's something we've inherited, but be grateful that God can set us free from that. We don't have to live a life battling against that kind of powerful force that's, that was awakened within us to um, to investigate the dark side and to dip our toe in it, and before we know it, you know, find ourselves under the waves and, and in really, really bad and harmful habits that leave us feeling guilty and dissatisfied. That doesn't have to be the pattern of our lives. So, my other pastor season moment um, happened about six years ago when we were in, I think we were in. Orlando, America. So um, Pastor Cesar is the lead pastor, if you don't um, know about his family, him and his wife, Pastor Claudia, they're the lead pastors of kind of like a parent church over in Bogota, Colombia, and where the G12 vision really started. Um, and um, they've had a lot of imp input and influence into our family personally, um, and into many of your lives as well, and um, through the kind of teaching that we experience and enjoy at this church. And so we were over in um, America visiting my brother, who now is married one of Pastor Caesar's daughters, so we were spending some time over there and um, just trying to see him again and um, various other things. We'd done pastor's internship in Bogota before that. It was quite a long stay. And um, it came, the reason we were there wasn't just to see people. It's because Pastor Caesar kind of told us to go because um, I'd had a really, we'd had a really, really tough year um, and it left me feeling quite mentally vulnerable and I was struggling with all sorts of kind of um, mental health issues, and, and I've made quite a lot of headway on them by this stage in the trip, but um, I, I was um, at that stage deciding that I was really going to be very interested in nutrition and like really, you know, healthy eating. It was kind of that first wave of like super healthy um, eating where, um, you know, everybody was just mashing kale up and sucking it through stores and all that kind of stuff. 
And um, I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is good. This is good. I love, I'm really into, like, nutrition. I'm really into health and fitness. And um, this is really going to help me, like, um, get a much better positive attitude about food. And it's all going to be wonderful. Um, and I'd, like, investigated it. And I'd investigated And I got more and more sucked into this kind of knowledge, volume of knowledge that said that particular ways of eating were the only way to eat. And that our bodies were only ever designed to eat in this particular way. And I'd gotten really, really, really sucked into, like, food fattiness or like food fussiness. So this, this resulted in um, me trying to educate the Castellanos family um, around the dinner table as to why their bodies hadn't actually been designed to eat meat um, and, um, and why my way of eating was better and that they shouldn't eat anything that they hadn't soaked and reactivated for like 24 hours ahead of time because they hadn't um, re-engineered the growth in these seeds and therefore they were missing out on the nutrition that was available to them. I was actually... <laughs> so embarrassing. I was actually reading an alternative Bible at that time called, um, it was Patrick Somebody's um, Nutrition Bible, um, Everything You Need to Read If You Actually Care About Your Body, I think was the tagline. So <laughs> there's me, this like a total idiot, trying, <laughs> trying to tell Pastor Caesar and Pastor Claudia like how their body's designed and how they should be eating from this alternative Bible um, that I've been reading. I mean, it's so cringeworthy now. Um, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> so they chewed their steak and nodded sweetly and wisely. And then um, after dinner, Pastor Claudia and uh, Cesar sat me down at the sofa and kind of gently opened the Bible with me and showed me all sorts of passages that, that talked about not getting sucked into worldly ideologies and not signing up to kind of false truths and false knowledge and, and being really careful to discern between what's um, harmful knowledge and helpful knowledge, what's biblical truth and what's the world trying to peddle its own truth um, and that I had gotten quite lost on the way um, and that really I ought to sort of take this to the Lord and repent, um, which I did. <laughs> Praise the Lord, it's fine. And, uh, you know, as I, as I got before God and said, yeah, okay, I've, I've gotten lost here and I'm actually harming myself rather than helping myself, you know, I was able to realise that my so-called... Uh, nutrition enlightenment was really just another way to kind of mask my inner fears um, of kind of not being good enough. And it was another way of controlling my life again and sort of taking control out of God's hands and, and me feeling like I had a measure of control in my own life to get to where I thought I wanted to be. But all it left me is um, misguided, misinformed and, and hurting in the process, really. Now, hear me right this morning. I'm, I'm not saying that the problem is um, about education. Like, there's plenty of references in the Bible to knowledge being great and helpful and um, very godly. So I'm not, I'm not an anti-knowledge person here. I can't be. My sister's got more degrees than probably everybody else put together. Um, the problem is not getting a good education, but the problem is the pattern um, that we can get into when we turn to the wrong tree. And when it becomes the defining pattern um, of our lives and the defining pattern of the way that we make choices... Um, in our lives, that's when the problem really, really sets in. And there's this very benevolent beware in Genesis that God gives his people, isn't it? It's a kindly beware. It's a, hey, guys, beware. If you get sucked into eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. That's, he spells it out for them. And for us, I think what that means is don't get sucked into a pattern that you don't want to repeat because it leads to spiritual death in our lives. You know, the more we eat from that tree, the less sensitive we become to the truth from the tree of life and the truth of the spiritual things. And, and the more we become desensitized, the more our spirits just, just back away and start dying down and draw us away from God. And eventually, we, we're in a, we end up in a sort of a spiritual death towards 
God's way of doing things and we find it so hard to find faith for anything or respond to God in a positive way. It's like that part of our lives can just die off if we fuel it from the wrong tree. And uh, I, that's kind of a, a thing to take home today. You know, beware, a kind beware from God. This pattern isn't one that you want to repeat. I was talking to Ben. I was like, oh, what are some bad patterns in life that people might remember? And we are sort of talking about 70s. You know, like when you buy a new house and you renovate it and you strip all the wallpaper off and then underneath it there's like acres of really gross wallpaper. Um, like 70s wallpaper, probably not a pattern that you want to repeat. Um, or you know, there might be patterns in the way that you dressed 10 years ago that you're quite glad that you don't want to repeat. I was thinking about Newcastle United because when we first moved up here, um, we, we landed in Newcastle in uh, uh, 94, no, 90, was it 98? I think it was 98. It was the year that um, Newcastle United got to the FA final, FA Cup final. And it was really exciting. And we were like, we came from like this tiny little town where the biggest football team was Oxford United. So we were like ready to throw a lot behind um, like a big, like glamorous professional team. So I remember my brother and sister um, going out and we had these like big black ornate gateways um, on this driveway of this house that we bought and they wrapped like black and white streamers all through it and we tied black and white balloons to it and we were like all in um, and then they lost but it's fine because they got to the FA Cup final the next year 1999 and we were like we were drilled this time so we got the streamers and balloons up much much quicker and we were so excited and they lost again um, did you know they did the same thing in 1905 and 1906 two consecutive years where they got to the FA Cup final and lost both again there you go, football trivia fact for you today. That is not a pattern we want to repeat. Amen. Amen. But look at the patterns in your life. <laughs> look, look at the patterns in your life and think about the reasons behind the choices that you make that form these patterns because our behaviors today reveal the choices that led to them. Our beha the behaviors that you see in your life reveal the choices that you made behind them. And the choices that you made reveal the tree that you're eating from. So that's, is, trace it back that way. Look at your behavior. What choices did you make that led to that behavior? And what tree did you eat from to create that choice? That's kind of a simple way of working out which tree are you eating from. Um, and, you know, there's some warning flags to look for I can think of. So, for instance, if you find yourself um, gathering opinions a lot, like on Facebook or in person, you know, if you feel like you can't make a choice without going around the houses and getting everybody else's opinions first and... Um, you, you need lots of um, affirmation about your choices online or from your friends. That's a bit of a warning flag that you're probably going, going at this from the tree of knowledge. Um, if you're Googling things a lot, like, should I go here, should I go there? Is this rash this or is this rash that? If you're constantly turning to Google to like, find your answers and um, pose questions, then that's probably a bit of a flag that you're um, heading over to the tree of knowledge more than you're heading to tree of life if you find yourself like copying or emulating or like buying the same stuff as like celebrities that you really admire or like people that you really like that's a bit of a red flag that you're eating from uh, the wrong tree or if you just put loads and loads of stock in you know you've got to read um, the academic research and scientific papers behind and um, the choices that you make and you want to get as much information and um, you want as many scientists to agree agree with your choice before you make it that's probably another choice that you're putting putting your stock in the tree of um, knowledge more than you are the tree of life. and Because what that really tells you is why, or what the question, I suppose, that you might want to ask yourself if you find yourself in any of those patterns is, why am I going everywhere but God with my choices? Like, why am I going to all these other sources 
but cutting God out of this decision-making process or this choice. And you might, like me, you know, find that there's a fear um, in operation somewhere in your life, fear of doing things, um, fear of not being enough, fear of, um, fear of even that God's going to ask you to do something that you're not prepared to do or that you don't want to do, fear that um, God isn't going to come through for you, um, that he's going to abandon you, or fear that you're going to miss out on something that your friends are getting because they're doing it a different way, or fear um, that you'll be misunderstood by your friends and your family if you do things the way God's asked you to, or just fear that God isn't going to give you what you want in life. That's much more powerful than I think we realize when we slow down and think about it. Um, and Satan's onto it, you know? Like, he knew right from the start of time that the most clever, dangerous thing that he could do is to separate our spirits from God's, from a relationship with God. And that's, that's why he told Eve, you know, eat, eat from the tree of knowledge, because he knows eating from the tree of knowledge is death to our spiritual life in God. It kills it off. It ends our relationship with God. It takes us away from him, and then Satan has won. I mean, he's lo- he loves to do that now, doesn't he still? He loves to do it at the beginning. He loves to do that now. That's his plan. And, uh, and like I said in the Bible, the serpent was the craftiest animal in the garden. Um, ben hates snakes. Like, visceral reaction, passionately hates snakes. Not because he's scared of them. I found this out because a, um, a while ago, we decided to get Leo a pet because he loves animals. He's very... Um, pro, things like that. Um, and uh, it had to be a furless pet. There was, it was going to be no fur pet because Ben's like, not only, oh, you're fussy, man. He, he's allergic, apparently, to everything from rabbits. Very allergic. Uh, rabbits, cats, dogs, all these things were out because um, they have fur. So we <laughs> were quite limited in the pet shops we, we could go to. So unsurprisingly, we ended up in like an aquatics and reptile store looking for a pet for Leo. Um, and I can't be faffed with fish. My dad had fish once, and we, um, oh, my dad, he really got into these fish. Um, and it was like, oh, he had this m- amazing tank set up, and one Sunday before we went to church, he decided to clean the fish out, so he scooped them all out with this net, and he put them in a bucket, um, and, like, laid newspaper kind of on the floor, put the bucket on the floor, um, put some sort of, I don't know, algae-cleaning tablet in the tank. We went off to church, and when we came back, the idea was that, you know, we would finish the job. I was first through the door, and it was horrific. There was, like, dead fish all over the carpet. They'd all leapt out the bucket and just flopped around unnoticed um, and died while we were in church. It was like a fish massacre. It was so distressing. And, like, you couldn't even, like... They, some of them have flung themselves so far that I was terrified to even step in this big living room because you were just looking like squash and Nemo. It was horrible, horrible. So I am, like, very anti-fish now as a result. It was really traumatic. So um, that led us to the reptile section. So over we go, and we're looking at all these different reptiles, and uh, the guys, people that work in pet stores are, like, passionate about their chosen field of pet, aren't they? Um, So so this guy um, was tempting us to look at the snakes. And so me and Leo, there were a couple of um, ball pythons or royal pythons, um, and um, we got, me and Leo got to hold one each. And actually, they're really quite nice. And um, he let us walk around the pet store with them. They kind of curl around your arm. They've got a pleasing weight about them. They're not slimy. Um, they're, they're very smooth. Um, they're not, they weren't wild. They were quite controlled and restful. And I was like, I could see myself, you know, cooking pasta, snake on my arm. I could see myself like, you know, postman's here. You can unlock the door. The snake's on your arm. Like, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a writhing, wriggling, flailing thing. It was pretty chilled and pretty solid. And actually, it felt good. And me and Leah were like, I think we're snake people. 
so um, we went home to Ben and said, I think we found like the right pet for Leo. Um, and we said, we're thinking of getting a ball python. And Ben was like, if you bring any snakes into this house, I will plunge a knife into its head in between its eyes. Bang! <laughs> and I was like, whoa! Extreme reaction in front of the child as well. Like, it was visceral. And he, t he told us later, it's just because they're so associated with the demonic. He just cannot shake this, like, inner humanity desire to slay the snake because of what happened. He, he blames Adam and Eve. He says he's, in he's just inherited it. He's just so spiritual. Uh, it's just so godly, so holy, um, that he's driven physically to slay snakes in the name of the Lord. Um, so that was the end of the snake. Uh, but... That was, that was the crafty serpent's tactic, right? To, tra to trick us into eating from the tree of knowledge. Now, you can bet your bottom dollar, if he did that in the Garden of Eden, what does he want to do to us today? He wants to do the exact same thing. He wants to trick us into eating from the tree of knowledge, make it look like a brilliant, brilliant idea. And if that's what the enemy wants us to do, what do you think is the better idea? The absolute opposite, right? To eat from the tree of life. So let's kind of look at the tree of life. This is my last point. It's called exchanging our spirit, exchanging our spirit. And as a kind of a footnote, I suppose, um, I should add that we did get a furless pet. Uh, we did not get a snake. We got a gecko. And he's the most holy gecko. He's so righteous. He's just lovely, isn't he? I think I just look at him and I, he's very yellow. He reminds me of angels. Such a holy pet. I really love lightning. In fact, he's nocturnal. And I swear I've heard him pray for us in tongues. I do, overnight. He does. I've heard him. While we're all sleeping, he's just up at night, just taking us before the Lord. It's a great pet. Really righteous. You love him, don't you? Yeah. We've got a lot of love for lightning. So, oh, where am I? A meeting from the tree of life. Praise the Lord. Tree of eternal life. Amen. And God welcomed, this, this is the weirdest thing about this whole story, is that God said to them, you can eat from the tree of life, but you can't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know, why didn't they try eating from the tree of life? By the time they'd eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they hadn't tried the tree of life. It remained untouched. Wouldn't that be the first tree that you would go to to try? Like, what is it about humans that make dumb choices? And I bet you, the minute after it happened, you know, they've, when they're stitching these fig leafy things, they were probably like panicking and freaking out and doing, doing any, wishing with everything they had that they could go back and make that decision again. Like if you ever, oh, come on, you've all done that, you know, when you go to bed at night and you think of like the epic put down that you wish you'd made to your sarcastic colleague like 10 hours earlier, like, ask me again, ask me again, because you've got this like answer all like ready to bring. I bet it was like that. They were like, oh, let us go back and this time we'll pick the other tree. Let us go back. We'll make the other decision. Maybe they... Like, I would be thinking, like, what if the tree of life is an antidote for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If we could just get back there and get that other, other piece of fruit, maybe that would wipe all this out. Maybe it would cancel out. Maybe everything would go back to normal, and it would be like this never even happened. But let's look at verse 22, because verse 22 is kind of like, for me, it's kind of a bit out of kilter with the character and nature that I know God to have in the rest of the Bible. You know, we read about God being um, loving, slow to anger, rich in mercy, forgiving, providing opportunity after opportunity for his people to put things right, right before him. I mean, that's what Leviticus is all about, isn't it? Like many, many ways that God came up with to help his people stay clean before him. So why did he do this? Let's look at verse 22. 
Oh, sorry, it's back in Genesis, the Genesis 22. It'll be one of those slides. There we go, that side, thank you. God says, look, the human has become like one of us, possessing the knowledge of good and evil. If we don't do something, he will reach out his hand and take some of the fruit from the tree of life, eat it, and live forever. So the eternal God banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and exiled humanity from paradise, sentencing humans to laborious lives, working the very ground the man came from. And I'm just like, God, why was the ban so instant? Like, why didn't you come up with some, you're so creative, you know, why didn't you come up with some plan to, like, make it all right there at the beginning of time? Because then everything would have been so different for us, and it would have been better for you, and we all could have been in a relationship together again. And, you know, God, you're just like, bang, you're out the garden straight away. Like, what, I know that what they did was terrible. I know what they did, like, was so, so, so sad. And you must have been brokenhearted, but it, that instant reaction to kind of kick them out the garden has always felt to me just a bit not like how God always does things. I've just, so I've been puzzling it um, and kind of wondering why God hadn't come up with a plan B at that stage. You know, why, why, didn't, why, didn't, why wasn't there an antidote tree? Why wasn't there? Why couldn't they just kill the snake and spread his blood around? I don't know. There must have been something God could have done that would have made this all better in that moment. Why did they have to just leave the garden like that? straight away. And it actually took me till this year, I've read Genesis many times, it took me till this year of reading Genesis to realize that that is exactly what God is doing when he makes sure that they leave the garden instantaneously. Because God had to stop Adam and Eve chasing down the bad fruit with the good fruit. He had to make sure that after they'd eaten the tree, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they couldn't go back, pack a bag, grab a mango off the good tree and sort of take that with them and eat that and hope it would make everything better. Because if they had then, after eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge and evil, after bringing um, an understanding and acceptance of sin into the world, imagine if they'd then gone and eaten from the tree of eternal life. They would have been uh, sinful, separated from God, and immortal. They would have, humanity would have been eternally, eternally, sinfully separated from God. That would have been even worse. And because by making sure that they left the garden immediately, by getting, getting them as far away from the tree of life as possible, you know, God hid the garden. He, there were angels with flashing swords and all the rest of it. It disappeared off the face of the earth. But he was, by not giving us access to the tree of life at that point in humanity, he was protecting us. Because if humanity had become immortal, eternally separated from God, not able to know death, yet also knowing sin. Jesus never, ever could have been born into humanity and died on a cross for our sins, redeemed our sins, taken the punishment for our sins, and made a way for us back into relationship with God. The whole Jesus plan never would have worked because how could he have been born into humanity that he couldn't die into? Like, that whole thing would have been off the table. And it's like, in that moment, God knew He did have a plan B. Somehow, lightning quick, he came up with it. He realized that someone was going to have to pay the price for their sin. The only someone that was going to be powerful enough to do that was his own son. And the only way to guarantee that that plan B would work was to make sure that Adam and Eve never became immortal, never ate from that other tree, that humanity never got to experience at that point the blessings that that tree could have been to them. I was like, wow, God's amazing. Like, that's the whole plan. It was there, and it was there. It was happening. He was enacting it even in that moment. 
And today for us, you know, right now, the tree of life is available to us again because, because God sent his son Jesus to die on the third tree for us. That's what Pastor Caesar calls it, the cross that he hung from. Got the tree of knowledge of good and evil where it all went wrong. Got the tree of life that we can eat from now and experience eternal life with God. But the gateway, the bridge, the gap between them was covered by that third tree, the cross that Christ was crucified on. And that's because of that third tree, you know, we can have a relationship with God today. We can access the tree of life. We can eat, fuel our lives, make decisions based on, sow into that, live lives that experience the abundant blessings of eternal life with God, both here on earth and, and afterwards. You know, and for, for, when you spell it out like that, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? Like, so you mean we can eat from the tree of life again today because of Jesus dying on the cross for us and redeeming our sin and taking our guilt and defeating death and making a way for us to be close in relationship with God again? Yes. So why wouldn't we always eat from that tree? It's a no-brainer, right? Why wouldn't we eat from the tree of life now that it's available for us again? But I know every single one of you here will have struggled at some point in your life or even now or even this morning from making wrong choices the other way again. And that's because the pattern of our old nature is constantly at work, the pattern of sin in our lives, it's constantly work, working with Satan to pull us back towards the old tree. And unless we ditch our old nature, we can't ditch that pattern. Unless we exchange our spirits 100% completely for the spirit of Christ who died on the cross and offered that his spirit into our lives instead of our own, we'll never break the pattern. And you can read all the psychology books that you want, and I've read quite a few, and there are some good ones out there, and I nearly shared some stuff from them with you this morning, but I haven't got time, and it's not really the point. There's some really good pattern behavior, behavioral science books out there, and they will get you so far. But unless you ditch your old nature and exchange it for Christ's nature, you will not experience the total transformative deep level of identity change that will never be able to earn or engineer ourselves, but that we need if we're going to live a life of freedom that chooses to eat from the right place, the right source, rather than the wrong source. It's another pastor Caesarism, isn't it? When we change, everything changes. You know, when who we are changes, when our sinful old nature and identity is exchanged for Christ's, that's when deep change, lasting change happens in our lives. And when we, when we get a new identity, we're then able to make the rest of our lives line up with that new identity. You know, we're able to make the right kind of choices that create the right kind of behaviors in our lives that demonstrate the kind of lifestyle that we want to lead. And, and then we're able to kind of move successfully forward into the promises and purposes of God. But it comes from an identity change. It's no good trying to fix your circumstances and um, change them and hope that they force you to change it won't work. The only way that you can really move forward into the promises and purposes of God is to get an identity change. Um, and you get that from the third tree. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Six. Ha, my bad. <laughs> Colossians 6. You, you, it says this. You used to walk in these old ways in the life you once lived. You used to walk in these old ways in the life you, want, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, good knowledge, in the image of its creator. 
there's an old way, there's a new way. You've got to get rid of the old lifestyle and identity if you want to take on the new identity of Christ. And that's the only place you can do it at, at the cross. And what I find in my life experience is that when we put all the energy and the effort into renewing our inner identity to reflect the image of Christ, Christ works on our outer circumstances for us. When we seek first the kingdom, all these other things are added to us. You know, when we invest the time and energy inside, changing what's going on in here, making it more like Jesus, he makes the outside circumstances line up more to help us in that. So I just want to finish by kind of fleshing out what our lives can, or could, should, might look like um, if our choices lead us towards the tree of life. If every time we're looking to make choices, we're saying, okay, well, what's the faith way? What's the life way? What's the eternally significant way? And uh, did I put Proverbs 8 on this slide? I did. Awesome. Let's read that. Because this was my remit last year, and I'm still um, trying to catch up with it. It says this. This is also the voice. Now, So now listen to me, my children. Those who live by my ways will find true happiness. Pay attention to my guidance. Dare to be wise, and don't disregard my teachings. The one who listens to me, who carefully seeks me in everyday things, and delays action until my way is apparent, that one will find true happiness. For when he recognizes and follows me, he finds a peaceful and satisfying life and receives favor from the eternal. But heed my warning, there's that benevolent beware, the one who goes against me will only hurt himself. For all who despise me are playing with fire and courting death. I love that because it says, you know, in everyday things, seek me and delay action until my way is apparent. That is like the opposite of my personality, to delay anything, let alone action. You know, and our smartphones don't help us either, do they? Because we, we live in a world now where people think it's okay to send like work emails to our personal email addresses at like 10 o'clock at night. You know, we're not living in a society that is prepared to delay anything. We're in a very instant culture and a very instant world. But we've got to sign out from that and be comfortable with saying, oh, the tree of life way is actually to delay action until we've figured out what it is that God's really saying to us. I think that's really novel and quite revolutionary um, to be that concerned with seeking the guidance of God, that determined to eat from the tree of life, God's way of doing things. And it also means, you know, to, when we eat from the tree of life, it means having faith to follow through on whatever it is that God does guide us to do once you've heard him, once he's given you something to take action on. Like, you've got to have enough faith to actually follow through on that. And that might be like small everyday things like having a particular conversation with a colleague at work that looks a bit low or, or um, making a financial gift to somebody if you're prompted by the Lord to do that. Um, or, you know, parenting. Like, I find this is the stage of parenting we're at in now. You're just constantly picking up on little attitudes in your children that you think, oh, I should really do something about that. And actually slowing down and unpacking that with them and um, helping them take that before the Lord and understand that. Um, and these, these things add up to a rich life in the spirit. Actually, Leah's been challenging me in other ways, like everyday things, like he's so prepared to pray about things that I've just sort of chalk up to, well, that's just life. So um, the other day, oh, I'm, it's, I think it's a baby brain thing, but I'm losing stuff left, right, and center at the moment. Um, I lost a wedding ring for a while. Uh, I've left my phone at Fen and Pool numerous times. And the last time I left my phone at Fen and Pool, Leah said, oh, mom, let's just pray. Let's just pray about it. So um, he... He just said, oh, God, please keep mum's phone safe and, and help us figure out how to find it. Um, 
<laughs> it's really funny, when you lose your phone, you, feel, you can't call anyone to ask for help. <laughs> I was like, and we don't have like a landline in the house anymore either. I was like trying to game this out. Anyway, we eventually managed to get in touch with um, Ben, who um, went to Fen and Pool um, and thought it was hilarious. They, I think he rang them and he was like, my wife, and they were like, has left her phone. <laughs> what time was it that she left her phone? Yep, fine, come and pick it up. Um, but... <laughs> Um, Leo was so encouraged by that. Like, that really encouraged his faith. And since then, like, anything, he's like, let's pray about it, Mum. So, like, last week, honestly, that kid, I think he's prayed more than me. I feel so convicted. But about everyday things, about my back being sore, or about us losing things, or about having enough time to see people. Like, anything, he's so excited just to, like, turn to the tree of life for the solution. I felt really, really convicted by that. Because that's what this passage is talking about. Everyday things. Let's take it to God in prayer, not just file it under, oh, that's just... That's just paying Bill's life. You know, that's what it means to have um, a, a tree of life approach. And those things add up to a really rich life in the spirit. Um, and we can choose the tree of life approach in like big things, you know, like relationships and jobs and traveling houses and cars and families and finances. And God asks us sometimes to do some crazy things in those areas of our lives that we don't always understand. Um, and it means eating from the tree of life means saying yes, even if you can't game it out, even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if the numbers don't um, add up or the timings don't seem right, even if it freaks your family out, you know, the tree of life way says, well, I'm going to go for it anyway and have faith that God is going to come through for me and trust that his way really is the best way for, for me. And I could tell you to finish off, you know, story after story of people in this church building right now that have made those kinds of choices and chosen that kind of lifestyle that really inspire me, like Sylvia, for instance, who God told Sylvia to go and translate the Bible into a written language that didn't even exist at the time that he called her to do it. You know, what, an, what a story of somebody choosing to eat from um, the tree of life. My own brother, um, my kids love this story. You know, he, he really felt God was, wanted to speak, speak to him about a relationship or that it was time for him to get married, and he was so confused about what he was meant to be doing, and he decided to go and spend a night walking um, in the hills by himself with his backpack on. And he encountered God up there in that place of focus, and he had this incredible vision and this incredible picture. It was like a Google Earth type thing where he saw the whole um, Earth as if it was from you know, Google Earth, and it zoomed in, and it zoomed in, and it zoomed in. Um, and eventually, it zoomed right in onto a beach in Miami, and he could see himself holding hands um, with a girl, but just from the back, so he couldn't see her face, and they were kind of walking along a beach together. And as a result of that vision, like, he's, he, he said yes to God, and he, ended, he sold his car, and he sold all his stuff, and he bought a plane ticket, and he went to Miami to a conference there, and he sure, sure enough met this girl that God had for him, and they've got um, three children and another one on the way, and it, a very rich life in the spirit over there. Um, it doesn't have to be that dramatic, um, but, you know, talk to the Charlton's about how they got the, how they're living in the house that they're living in now, or come along to Life Class Week 7, where you'll hear Antonia share more about it. Life Class Plug! Uh, great story. Um, talk to Ben about why he lives in Newcastle. You might think it's because of me. It's not, um, sadly. Uh, he, you know, he has his own story um, of, like, what, God calling him to live up here at the worst possible time of his life that God could do that for him, and having faith to say yes to that. Talk to people like, Pevway and Shola, who like spend, you know, they only get to see each other at weekends, and they spend half of that weekend in this church building um, choosing the tree of life for a Sunday morning meeting, and they stay behind for city group. She's a guide on life class, even though, you know, she's having to um, keep the kids going at home by herself in Newcastle, while her husband works hard to provide for the family because he's in Edinburgh 
for the week. There's loads of examples in this room of people that are choosing to eat from the tree of life and making, creating a lifestyle around them um, that is tree of life orientated and, is, and they're experiencing the spiritual blessings of that and they're so um, inspiring. I think that's a, a, a good place to stop really, um, and respond ourselves. But I wanted to read you this text that my mum sent me this week because the song that we sang earlier, you know that Raise a Hallelujah song? Do you know the story behind that song? A few people do. If you look it up on, um, if you look at the live version on YouTube, Raise a Hallelujah, um, this is all I knew about it at the time when we did it last week, but there was a kid, um, it's, a, it's a Bethel song, and it was written by one of the members of the Bethel worship team, and one of his friends, children who's like two, about two or something. Um, he, yeah, he was two at the time, um, kid called Jackson, and he was really, really ill, and his parents um, were told that he was probably going to die, and it was all very, very sad, um, and they were in hospital with him for a long time. Um, and then one night, this worship, this songwriter said that he got a text from the couple saying, oh, and we don't think we're going to make it through the night with Jackson tonight. Um, please pray for us. And he said, out of his spirit came this song, well, actually, he said, first of all, he felt this giant of fear come against him. And his first reaction was, that kid's going to die in hospital tonight. I can't believe we're going to lose this battle. And he said, and as, as this um, spirit of fear came against him, in, in response, this song came out of his heart. I'll raise a hallelujah um, in, the, in the middle of my enemies. My, my melody is going to be my weapon. And this whole song about singing um, when you're surrounded by the enemy but, and having that response to God came out of um, his heart, and he wrote this amazing song. So um, I kind of knew the story, and I thought it was a cool story, but my brother texted me this week and said, um, uh, he's, in, he's, he's in Tulsa? <laughs> yes, Tulsa. We all know why. We all know about Tulsa because of Chandler Bing, and that's the only reason we know about Tulsa. My brother's in Tulsa. How random. Uh, he's at university there this week. And they showed the video, which is a much more expanded version of this testimony with this parent, um, the parents of this kid called Jackson, who did survive. Um, and I watched it. And what I didn't realize is that what the kid had was um, a rare strain of E. coli. Um, and the E. coli then um, migrated into something called um, hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. Um, and you've, you see this video, and you see they, they, made, they made a video. You see the kid, like, really sick on the death on his deathbed, and it's very, very moving, and he's um, very ill, very poorly, looks really, really ill. Um, and that is what I had when I was a kid, which is quite bizarre and quite rare. So when I was 18 months old, um, we were on a family holiday in France. I don't remember it, but um, we were on a family holiday in France, and I caught this rare strain of E. coli, which developed into HUS. Um, and we were in a French hospital for quite a long time. It's before my brother or sister were born. Um, and, you know, my parents had told me this story a few times, but, it, yeah, it was really powerful to kind of watch this on a screen, something. It was almost like watching myself because I don't remember it, but I saw this kid on the screen, and I was like, wow, that was, that was me, and we were in a hospital for a long time, and we had to get... Eventually, there was like a, kind of an air ambulance that took us back to England, but essentially to die was the, was the deal. Um, she's going to die, so you, you should go home with her in this, this um, plane, and... Uh, my parents tell the story of um, my dad um, calling the church to pray and lots of churches in the area, like really rising up in prayer, which is what happened for this kid, Jackson. Loads of churches kind of rose up in prayer. Um, and my dad talks about um, encountering a spirit of death and really doing battle with a spirit of death over me um, when I was that age. Um, and 
feeling, feeling like driven to kind of praise God in the midst of all of this as well. So it's kind of really harrowing watching this video again. And my mum my watched it as well. My brother sent it to my mum. She said, I just got a chance to watch the video and I was right back there um, with a totally pale Quite emotional, sorry. <laughs> With a totally pale, white, motionless, little silent, very sick 18-month-year-old who wasn't talking and had even given up on crying. And I remember reading Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Having that sense, a shadow is exactly that. It's not real, it's transient. And a shadow only overwhelms us if we focus on it and look away from the light source. That is Jesus, the light of the world. When we focus on the light, the shadow is behind us. I'm feeling very emotional and so thankful for your life, Clarice. And two, becoming three wonderful grandchildren who wouldn't otherwise exist. Not even sure if that's Leo and Stella in this baby. Um, I'm not even sure if Jackson, the kid in the video, had peritoneal dialysis, septicemia, and possible brain damage, all of which we had to walk through with you two and the initial stress of being in a hospital with only French speakers before Dad could join me. God is so good. I want to give you a big hug because our family is so precious to us. What an amazing testimony of choosing to eat from the tree of life and not, going, not choosing to eat from the tree of knowledge because they could have, well, they couldn't have Googled it then, but they could have been overwhelmed by the information that they were getting about the statistics and the probability of death and everything that the doctors were saying and being overwhelmed by that shadow in that valley, but they chose to eat from the tree of life. And here I am today, hallelujah. Yeah, it was a real praise God moment for me, of like, wow, I really am here today, and I'm so grateful. Um, and that's because my parents have lived a lifestyle of choosing to eat from the tree of life that sees faith and healing and possibility, where the world sees sickness and death and darkness. Amen? So if you... Want to respond this morning? I'd encourage you just to stand. Um, I'm open to um, input on any of you guys on how we want to respond this morning or whether the band wants to play anything. But I think the main thing we want to do this morning is just take a moment in our hearts to do what Pastor Stazer gave me the opportunity to do in Stockholm, is to own our responsibility as decision makers, um, is to admit the times that we've made Wrong, wrong choices that have come from the tree of knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. And just to put that right in our hearts with God this morning and ask for a new nature. Ask that God would exchange our spirits so that we receive the identity and the spirit of Christ into our lives this morning. That's something that really impacted us both in Sweden, actually, is that Pastor C says, you know, those trees are still very much there. You know, even in this moment in, in history, um, there's still very much somehow established in the spiritual realm. There's still two trees that we can choose from. And, and so I guess, first of all, there's an opportunity just to recognize before the Lord those times when we've, we've chosen to eat from the wrong tree. And if you know, I mean, I'm, you know, we've all done that. We've all made that mistake and, and gone that place. And I know I have. And so if you, if you know that that's kind of you, then just take a moment in your heart to recognize that before the Lord. 
And just in the silence of your own heart, say, you know, recognize that. Start saying to the Lord, you're sorry, that you know you've made wrong choices, that there's been moments where you've decided to do the wrong thing, where you've um, tried to do things in your own strength, tried to reason things out, trying to manipulate or engineer your circumstances. Just take a moment to recognize that before the Lord and start saying sorry for those times and turning away from that attitude and that way of uh, pattern of behavior. And the, the opportunity, the amazing news of the, of the gospel message is that the other, cre- the other tree that God establishes forever, just as real established in eternity, is the cross of Calvary. And, you know, in so many ways, that's a representation of a different tree that we come before and choose to eat from. And if you can conceive in your spirit this morning that the tree of life is there, not because of our goodness, not because of anything that we did that made ourselves right, but the, the tree of life is there because Jesus paid a price to bring life into our, into our lives. If you can conceive that in your spirit, I just want you to raise a hand where you are as a, as a way of declaring, as a way of recognizing, as a way of saying, hey, this is my life and I choose to follow a path in life that pursues the tree of life. I choose to come before the cross now I choose to see that in that moment at the cross, Jesus took my mistakes and my past and my baggage and my brokenness. Jesus, I see all of those things being drawn up to you at the cross, being taken out of my life and out of my past and out of my spirit, being taken up to you. Just conceive in your mind's eye and in your spirit, Jesus taking those things away from your life and making all the difference. And so start, you know, why don't you just start to say out in your own words, today, Lord Jesus, I choose you. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose life. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose your pattern for my life. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you, to put you first, to pursue the choices you've chosen um, for me to, to make, God. Today, Lord Jesus, I choose you. Yeah, and as well. Thank you, you know, I feel this is really on God's heart for us this morning. If you feel like God's withheld something from you this morning, if you feel like you've pulled back from God, that you've lost a sense of trust in Him because you think He's holding something back from you this morning, you know, He wants to restore your hope in your future in Him this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak now to every heart, Lord, that has um, yeah, that's right. Determine that you're trying to keep something away from them or not giving them what they want. Lord, we pray that you would open up a door of hope for them this morning. Lord, hope in a future, hope in your promises again. Faith to reach out and trust you again with the things that you um, have once promised or long to promise. Lord, we don't want to be a people that pull back from you, but Lord, we want to be a people that, that push forward into you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. It's a, a privilege to stand as a church and pray um, for many things. And we've had different opportunities to do that together for situations in other parts of the world, um, for situations where in our own, you know, in our own opportunity and in, in the sort of ability to control the situation in front of us, we're basically powerless, right? And we've prayed in different ways for different parts of the world. And, you know, just as um, Clive and Sally called churches in Oxfordshire to pray for Karis when she was poorly and... Um, churches in America pray for this uh, Jackson there's a situation going on in our family that we'd love to pray for Andy I'm going to ask you to come help with us you were sort of carrying something on this so um, why don't you share 
And we're going to take a moment. You know, we believe our prayer is powerful, effective, makes all the difference in people's lives. So, Andy, will you help us with this? So, I don't know if... Is Cecil here? Do you want to come up, Cecil? So um, we're going to pray for Cecil's brother. Do you want to? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, it's been uh, since last since last May. Um, I know we've all been praying for Jessel. Um, he was uh, diagnosed with uh, ALL, um, a form of cancer. And he was responding really well to the medicines, um, but it keeps relapsing. I'm, I'm quite sure Andy would know all the technicalities behind it. So it keeps relapsing. So uh, last week, doctors have come to conclusion that that they can't break the cycle of relapse and chemo, relapse and chemo. So they have decided not to go with the further treatment. Uh, they, are, they are stopping the treatment as of now because his body can't take any more further chemo. So my mom and dad and Jessel, they have been discharged uh, from the hospital where they were and they have kind of made a decision to, to go with the the further, further care, just for the lack of a better word, I'll just say the further care, but they are not carrying on with any of the treatments. Uh, doctors don't want to carry on with any of the treatments. And right from the beginning, you know, we've been praying for Jessel, we've all been praying for Jessel. So yeah, I, I would request, you know, when they're going back, uh, to our ho- hometown um, and whatever care they are taking because Bible says that it's it's not by many or uh, God can deliver by many or by few you know it's 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 not like God doesn't need a big treatment to give a big miracle with a with a small further care God can give give the treatment you know give the healing yeah so I request you know to pray for Jessel so whatever care he is getting that God bring out a, a mighty deliverance for him through that because like we heard today we choose to believe not in the tree of knowledge not what the medical science says but tree of life because that that can just impart life yeah yeah so yeah it would be really great and it would really bless us as a family to pray for Jessel for a great deliverance amen amen so Jessel's 19 is that right 23 sorry okay so uh, I just put a few years on him. Okay. So Jess is 23 years old, and he's been sent home from hospital now for no further treatment for his leukemia. Um, and but you know, God has not given up on him, isn't that right? And um, just in the night, two nights ago, I woke up through the middle of the night, and he was just on my heart. Yeah. So I was really praying for him, and you know, that's that's really good because it's a good sign when God is waking people up to pray for people because it means that God's not done with them. So we really want to believe God for something. Uh, really great for Jessel. This is, and as far as doctors are concerned, not a situation in which there is any more hope. But we believe God for something really great for him, don't we? Believe that God can do something good. Um, so why don't we be great to just lift our voices up to pray for him? And I think the key thing really for us is what we sang about in that song, is not to allow the sort of shadow and the cloud of unbelief to come over us, which is when medical people or, you know, the situations look like there's no logical hope left. And that may well be the case just with logic, but we believe God 
for something that's beyond logic. We have to look to the tree of life and what the word of God says. And God says, I am the Lord that heals you. So we look to God for that today. Why don't we lift up our voices? I'd encourage you to name Jessel as you look to God, as you lift up your voice. Ask God for a great miracle. Ask him to do something great. Encourage you not to ask God for small things. Ask God to break through. Ask him to do something awesome. Ask him to bring the miracle in Jessel's life. God, we look to you. God, we look to you right now. We look to you, Lord Jesus. We lift up our voices to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. You're greater than unbelief. God, you're greater than the giant of sickness. God, you're greater than the giant of cancer. God, you're greater than the giant of leukemia. Lord, you're greater than every doctor's opinion. Lord Jesus, we want to say you're the greatest physician, the greatest doctor, and the greatest healer. Lord, we lift up our voices today. We ask you breakthrough in Jessel's life. Lord, in the face of the giant of unbelief and of sickness and of fear, we sing out hallelujah. Our God reigns. We sing and we shout out in the presence of our enemies. God will bring the breakthrough. God will bring healing. God will bring restoration. God will bring life. Lord, we speak right now life into Jessel's bones, life into his body, life into his spirit. God, we release a miracle in Jesus' name. God, we say we believe you for something more. God, we believe you for healing. God, we believe you for change. Change the course of his life. Change the course of this situation, God. Bring a breakthrough in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, we want to speak out a great hallelujah to God. Let's lift up that voice of hallelujah to him. We sing out hallelujah to God. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. Weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing, and I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder. I'm going to hear my praises roar Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The King is alive Yeah, give Jesus a great shout He's alive Believe in your healing power. 
We believe in your power, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. Man, that's such a powerful image in the Bible. Many of you will know the story where the Israelites were fighting um, and Joshua, uh, I think Joshua was fighting and Moses was looking over the hill and when Moses' arms are too tired, I'm very emotional, you have to forgive me. When Moses' arms are too tired, his friends came and held his arms up. Man, it's just a privilege to hold up the arms of a family who are fighting for their son's life. You know, it's a privilege. And so, you know, I just want to encourage you this week, keep holding their arms up. You know, they've been fighting this for a very long time, but it's our privilege to stand with these guys and to hold their arms up as they're, you know, they're probably not even flacking. They're probably amazing people who are just pressing on, but let's hold their arms up this week. Amen. 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 You know, I'm probably emotional for a number of reasons, not least of which is that uh, people held up the arms of my in-laws when it was my, my wife-to-be, right? So I've benefited from this more than many. It is a privilege. It's a massive privilege. <sighs> Praise God. Praise God. Well, you know, it's just, honestly, sometimes it's just such a privilege to be in the church, to be, to know that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're making an impact on this nation in a way that's more than any one of us could do on our own. It's a privilege. We bless you guys this week. You know, we bless you guys. We thank you for supporting Cecil, his family, mum and dad in this time. We thank you for that. Do you keep praying for them. We pray you receive this word into your lives. Be at your city groups, continue discussing it, you know, really hearing how God's able to change our future, change the choices that we make, change the kind of nature and character of who we are. Do get there this week. Tonight, we're going to have another opportunity to continue to pray, influence the world, influence the nations around us. Half past seven, we're going to be here to pray for life class especially, um, and maybe other things that are on our hearts and on our agenda to pray. So do come, do make it here half past seven tonight. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week receiving and being transformed by God in this. Amen.